Hey, church family, how you doing out there? Well, if you're not excited, you better get excited because we are back to school here at Shelby County. And, and you know what that means? That means Pastor Dave is more jacked than he's ever been. He's ready to go. We got a ball here. I think these are stress balls. So maybe some of you need these since school's back. But it says basically, love God, love people, change the world, right? So would you stand to your feet as we get ready to worship the Lord? We're going to sing his praises. I'm going to throw this one out to you. Thank you for joining online this morning. Let's worship the Lord. Breaks the power of sin and darkness. Whose love is mighty and so much stronger. The King of glory, the King above all kings. Who shakes the whole earth with holy thunder and leaves us breathless in all in wonder. The King of glory, the King above all kings. This is amazing grace. Yeah, this is a failing love that you would take my place, that you would bear my cross. You
Executive Minister here. I want to welcome you guys to Shelby Christian Church and welcome those uh, watching online as well. As a reminder, when I'm done praying, we have communion stations uh, set up around uh, the room. They're double cups, so the bread's on the bottom, juice on the top, and there's offer, also offering boxes uh, there to, to worship in that way. Uh, yesterday, uh, we had the funeral for George Best here, which uh, if you didn't know, he was here forever serving uh, in, in many, many ways. But the communion and the offering uh, was especially him in the last X years. Because the guy came in and would fill up all of those communion cups <laughs> um, the day before. And then he, would, he was the treasurer, so he would count the money um, as well. So it's hard for me to come to this time and not think about George and how much he loved this church and how much he loved Jesus through that and how much he loved you uh, through that. Uh, Jesus says like the greatest of these must become the least and that, that he came to not to be served but to serve. And, and George to me is the epitome, was the epitome of, of that sort of servant leadership that he did so much around here that, that people don't know about. And as much as he did because he loved this church, Jesus loves this church and you guys even more, infinitely more. That not only did he come not to be served but to serve, he came to die for each and every one of you guys because he loved you that much. Let's pray. Dear Father, we just thank you for this day. Thank you for the opportunity to worship you. You are holy, and we love you. I thank you for, for George and the life that he lived and the example that he showed through his actions, Lord. Most importantly, Lord, I thank you for Jesus. I thank you for sending him down to die for me and the love that you have for each and every one of us, even though we don't deserve it, Lord. We thank you for it. Help us to glorify you in everything we do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
This old song that we learn when we were young. Jesus loves
What's up, church? Man, I am so excited about what God is doing, what God is going to do. Are you ready for it? All right, let's go, let's go, let's go. Hey, I got a big question, though. It's it's a fundamental question for everything. Why? Why? You know how many important questions in life start with that little three-letter word? Why? Now, some of those questions we can't answer, right? So why do bad things happen? We live in a broken world. We'll talk about that a little bit more. But why do we do what we do? We, the church, why do we do what we do? Why do we invest time in recovery ministry for addicts? Which, by the way, happens on Wednesday nights at 6.30, in case you're looking, all right? Uh, Why do we invest in recovery ministry for people that are struggling with grief and loss? It happens on Wednesday nights, too, as well, by the way, all right? Why, Why in the world would we start a Thursday night service? I mean, that doesn't make any sense at all. Why? But By the way, it starts this Thursday night, okay, just saying Oh, and by the way, in case you needed a little bit more motivation, the Kona ice truck will be here at 530 Thursday night out in the parking lot. All right. I'm just saying, I'm just saying this Thursday, why has this church for so long from the very beginning invested so much time, energy, and money in youth ministry? Oh, by the way, something cool. We just hired a student minister. He'll be here in two weeks. His name's Ray Bruner. Ray Brewer. I knew Ray Bruner. 
He's, he's from Tampa, Florida. He's gone home to get his stuff, and we're actually trying to help him find a, a spot. He's single, so like, if you know, like, where we could find a rental spot for a single guy with a puppy, uh, we <laughs> come come see me or Jason or Dennis. All right, but we're excited about what God's going to do. We're excited that tonight at five o'clock our student ministry kicks off for the fall, and the middle school will be here from five to six thirty in the stew, and then the high school and and next phase will be here from seven to eight thirty. We're excited that this morning that our in our student ministry children's ministry it's, it's bump up Sunday, it's move Sunday, so so kids are moving up to the next level. Fifth graders are moving to middle school, kindergartners moving into elementary school. All that stuff's happening. Today. Why do we do that? Because when we do those things, here's what it means. It means we've got to recruit more volunteers. It, it, it means we've got to spend more money. It means we've got to do all sorts of other things. Invest time and heartache and, and headache sometimes. Why do we do those things? Why do we put in the extra effort? Why do we sacrifice? Why? There's a guy named Ray Vanderlyn that some of you know because you've read his stuff. You've studied some of his studies before. In the, in the 1990s, he developed a, a, a platform called That the World May Know. And it was really based a lot on some of his theological studies, his education. He finished in the 1970s, but he studied a lot of Jewish history. And so he goes into the Middle Eastern Jewish countries where, where this all happened, all right? And he sees and he teaches from that perspective and, and helps people to learn that. But his, his premise is that the world may know. That the world may know. I think that phrase answers our question why. Why do we do what we do? Why do we take risks? Why do we take extra chances? Why do we go out on limbs? Why do we try to do things differently as much as we can to reach as many people as we can so that the world may know? Because I know that, that there are some that are sitting here this morning that a few years ago didn't know. A few years ago, even if you did know, you weren't in a good spot in terms of that relationship with God. And so I think it's important for us to remember that, yes, we love coming together as family, those of us who, who already know and who have accepted. But we got to remember that we do what we do for those that don't yet know so that they may know, right? That's why we do what we do, all right? It's, in fact, it, it, it's our purpose as a church. Our, our purpose statement as our church says that we exist to reach people for Jesus. That's number one, to reach. And then we want to equip them to become fully devoted disciples, ready to impact their world for Christ so that the world may know. And we want our end product. We want our end product to be that we all become, and this community continues to grow and grow and grow, a community of changed lives, ready to make a difference. How do we do that? We are convinced that the way that the believers grow in that, once they come to know and once they begin to grow, that that's, that's how it happens. That they worship and they study and they serve and they give and they share and they do that on a regular basis so that the world may know. So that the world may know. Why is that our mission? If you've got your Bibles, open them up to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 
Second Corinthians chapter five. In chapter five, there is a very, very, very familiar verse to people who have been in the word very much or been in church very much at all. It's verse 17. We'll start there. That's a, it's a familiar verse of scripture. It says this, that anyone who belongs to Christ is a new creature, a new person. The old life is gone and all has been made new. And that's really, really, really cool. But you got to check out the next verses, all right? So here's what he starts by saying. He says, if you've accepted Christ, if you've made Jesus Christ the Lord of your life, it doesn't matter where you've been, what you've done, who you've done it with, that you're a new person. And once you do that, look what he says. He said, and all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. What? Look at that. God has given who? Us. Those of us who are new, new people. God, he said God has given us this task of reconciling people to him, of bringing people. That's why we do what we do so that the world may know. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. This next phrase will make some of you so happy, so happy, so happy. The first time I really understood this phrase, I just, I, I couldn't stop just, just smiling. No longer counting people's sins against them. That when you give your life to Jesus Christ, when you accept him as Lord and Savior, your sins are forgiven. They are no longer counted against you. And he gave us, here we go again though, he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. We are Christ ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead with people, come back to God. For God made Christ, it's powerful right here, catch this. For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. That, that whole thing of reconciling, reconciliation, do you know what that, it's where we get this word that we talk about when we used to reconcile our checkbooks. Remember back in the day when we had those paper things? Remember those? Remember those? And you could actually write on them and you could give them to people and they would, they would give you stuff because you gave them that piece of paper. And it was called a check. And, and every month the bank would send us a big fat envelope of checks that we had written to other people. And our job was to go through those checks and to make sure <clears throat> that the bank had charged us what we thought we had written the check for and to reconcile that. And if there was a problem to make it right, does that help you understand what Jesus did for us? When Jesus left heaven and came to earth to reconcile our sin checkbook, to make things right, to make things eternally whole and secure. And then he said, but then he drops that bombshell. And now that's your job. You go share the message of reconciliation. That God loved you enough to redeem you from your sin. And so why we do what we do is so that the world may know. And the first thing they need to know is this. That God is for us. Even when we don't deserve it. 
that God is for us even when we don't deserve. Let me speak for a moment to the context of people who don't have a real relationship with God. I think there are many people in the world today that are probably subconsciously, probably not speaking it verbally that often, but that are wondering, why does God hate me? Why does God hate me? Maybe you've had some of those thoughts. And when we look at the problems that our world faces today, it's kind of kind of understandable. I mean, think about the stuff that's going on that just happened in the last, in the last few months, last couple of years. There was a global pandemic and the world went on lockdown. There's raging addiction issues and soaring inflation and mass shootings and natural disasters like floods and tornadoes and earthquakes and wildfires burning out of control. God, where are you? Why do you hate me so much? Why do you hate us so much? You look at things that are going on in specific people's lives. Come on. People in eastern Kentucky, many of whom didn't have much to start with, who now have nothing. God, why do you hate me? Why do you hate me? That man or the woman that, that pledged their undying love to their spouse in front of a preacher and a church and God, and, and now they're, they're living alone. God, why do you hate me? I told you I was going to do the right thing. Someone that you love. Someone that you love found out that they had a serious, serious disease. And so you prayed and you prayed and you prayed and you got on your knees and you prayed and you cried and you begged and they died. God, why do you hate me? As a, as a parent, you worked hard. You worked really, you worked so hard. You worked extra hours to make sure that you could provide a safe home with everything your children would ever, ever, ever possibly need. And then some, they could have a wonderful life and yet they ignored your efforts and left home and their life's a wreck. And the conclusion for some is God must hate me. God must hate me. But we have to interject here a reality check of why are all these things going on? How do we know that God loves us even when we don't deserve it? It goes really back to, the, oh, like page 3 in your Bible, Genesis 3, that we live in a fallen and broken world, that God had designed this utopia, this perfect place, and then Satan interjected himself into the situation into the equation and things are forever changed and we live in this fallen and broken world listen to the world's the words of the psalmist in psalm chapter 14 listen we wrote this is the old testament song only fools say in their heart there is no god they are corrupt and their actions are evil not one of them does good But the Lord looks down from heaven on the entire human race. He looks to see if anyone is truly wise, if anyone seeks God. But no, we've all turned away. All have become corrupt. No one does good, not a single one. Will those who do evil never learn? 
They eat up my people like bread and wouldn't think of praying to the Lord. Terror will grip them, for God is with those who obey him. Let's catch verse 6 here. The wicked frustrate the plans of the oppressed. But catch these next words. But the Lord will protect his people. That's good news, right? That's good news. That God is for us even when we don't deserve it. Even when it seems that the world is against us. That whole idea is what the Apostle Paul wrote about in Romans chapter 3. He said these words. He, He put it this way. None is righteous. No, not one. There's nobody that's righteous. Then he went on, he went on in verse 23 and just called it, just called us out. He basically said, every one of you, all of you have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's kind of bleak. That's kind of paralyzing. And Paul understood that fully. He understood it fully because he understood what an awful person he was before that day when he was on his way down to Damascus to kill a bunch of Christians and all of a sudden God showed up. And he was ambushed on the road to Damascus and his life was forever changed. But he remembered, he remembered what life was like before, before that day. He understood that. He said, all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. God has every reason to be against us. He gave mankind the best of everything and they abused it and they sinned against him. Sounds really bleak. Doesn't sound like an uplifting morning at all, does it? But, 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 The wages of our sin, that stuff that we all did, the wages of that, the reward for that is death, but, somebody should have been saying but really loud right about then. Somebody should have figured that out. Come on, somebody knows Romans 6.23 and knew where this was going, okay? That the wages of our sin is death. There you go. There you go. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. That's what the world needs to know. That when everything seems to be spinning out of control, when our life is a wreck, that God is for us, even when we don't deserve it. The next thing that people need to know is how we know that. The world needs to know that Jesus is the proof of God's love. Because did you notice in Romans 6, 23, the wages of our sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. That's how it happens. That's how we know that God loves us. Check this out. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. Check out this. And Paul wrote these words after he had said the wages of our sin is death and before he even told us about, you know, that, that it was now new through Christ, he said this, Romans chapter 5 verse 8, God showed his love for us in this way, that while we were still sinners, people were still sinning. 
People were still doing all the things that was going to lead them to death. But in the middle of that, God showed his love for us and that while we were still doing that stuff, Jesus came and died for us. And the world needs to know that. That it doesn't mean that Jesus didn't wait for you to become perfect to die for you. It wouldn't have ever happened. But while we were still sinning, Jesus died for us. And the world needs to know that the benefit of that love is that we get to be called children of God. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. And so our message is to let the world know how to connect to that love. How to connect to that saving love and that saving grace that Jesus, while we were still sinning, came to give us. And it's pretty simple. We start by trusting in the one who came. The one who came and brought us but a different life. The one who came, we trust in the one who came and the one who sent him. We put our trust in that, that we believe that Jesus who is who he says he is. And not just do we believe that because even the demons believe and they shudder in fear because of that. But we take that belief and we put it into action and we trust him enough to act on it. And then we repent. We repent of all of our personal sins. Not just what somebody else did, not global, God, I'm sorry that I'm a sinner. No, let's get real with him and let's tell him what we did. Because you know, right? You know? He might not know what your sins are. You could probably look at the person next to you and they can tell you. Because they live with you. They know. And you know. And God knows. So repent. Get real with God. Be willing to openly confess his name. Confess that you believe in him. Confess that you're trusting in him. Confess that your life would be a mess without him. Confess that things are going to be different now because of him. And after you've trusted and repented and confessed his name, get baptized. Like the Bible says, for the forgiveness of your sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit coming to live inside of you coming to live inside of you to make you new and to make you clean and that's our message and that's the message of the word and our mission though if that's our message it never changes our mission how we go about it how we go about it individually whether it's a a recovery ministry or a, a, a thursday night worship service or student ministry how we go about it those things can change along the way but the global thing about our mission that we need to understand is that we need to remove as many obstacles as we possibly can for people to hear the message of jesus christ in their life remove as many obstacles as as we possibly can here's the reality it's a different world than i grew up in it's a different world than most of you grew up in there are people in our community hundreds i would even go thousands of people in our community that cannot worship with us this morning unless they quit a job and forfeit their family income that's just the world that we live in There are people that have to travel. Sometimes they have to travel on the weekends because they're taking care of an elderly parent that lives in a different community and their siblings are taking care of their mom or their dad through the week and they've got to go and they've got to be there. Some people just can't come on Sunday morning because they they can't hardly function because they've worked 85 hours the previous six days. 
And so what's the church going to do? Well, church is on Sunday. Now, I believe in the Sabbath. Don't, don't go out of here going preacher through the Sabbath out the window. But when it comes to getting introduced to Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, here's what I've decided. Here's what we've decided. The church has a couple options. We can figure out how to do church another time and remove that obstacle. Or we can say, hey, here's when church is. You can either come or you can go to hell. Your choice. I don't like the sound or the feel of that at all. You know what my hope would be? Staff hates it when I say this. My hope would be we'd have worship every night of the week here. But we got to grow. Because there's only six of us that want to do that right now. (laughs) It's all about removing obstacles. Do Do you feel that? It's all about removing obstacles. So that the world might know. You know, when I started in ministry 40 years ago, you know one of the big excuses people had give us for not coming to church? I don't have, I don't have a fancy suit or dress to wear to church. Ain't nothing wrong with wearing a fancy suit or dress. None at all. None at all. But we can't make that an obstacle to people coming to Jesus, right? We can't make that an obstacle to people coming to know the saving grace of a Savior that came for them even while they were still sinning. We got to figure this out, guys. And, you know, some of us that are on the back nine of life, some of us that are on the back nine and we're already here, we already know, right? Right? We, we already know. We already know. And you know what we got to really care more about? We got to care more about, we don't, let me put it this way. We got to care less about the church we grew up in and care more about the church that's going to lead our grandchildren to Jesus. Because that's the generation that needs to know. And guess what? The time's coming when they're going to think their grandkids are out of their mind. Your grandparents thought the same thing about you. It's just the way it goes. But if we're going to understand this stuff and we're going to remove the obstacles, we're going to understand that once we come to know this stuff, once we come to know this stuff, that it's no longer about me and you. It's about us doing what he told us to do, and that was to help reconcile the world to him, to go out and to share so that the world may know. So let's wrap this thing up, okay? Why do we do what we do? Because we know, and the world needs to know, that God is for us, even when he shouldn't be. We know, and they need to know, that Jesus is the proof of God's love. And the last thing they need to know is that time is of the essence. Time is of the essence. Jesus is coming back. He's coming back to claim his bride, the church. And even if he wasn't going to do that in the next 200 years, your life is finite on this earth. The only way that it can ever be infinite is to live with Jesus forever. 
And so we've got to do some things now. Catch this. Turn on over in your Bible to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Time is of the essence. The world needs to know that. This world is messed up. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 1. You should know this, Timothy, that in the last days there will be difficult times. For people will love only themselves and their money, and they will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents, and ungrateful. Wow. He's a prophet. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends and be reckless and puffed up with pride and love pleasure rather than God. And they will act religious and they will reject the power that could make them godly. Stay away from people like that. That's the word of God. And it sounds eerily familiar. It sounds like Paul's writing about 2022. But what does he mean there at the end when he says stay away from people like that? Because part of it is we've got we to go find people like that. It's what David wrote about in Psalm chapter 1, if you've looked there before. In Psalm chapter 1, here's how David put it. He said, oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked. They may know the wicked, but they don't follow the advice of the wicked. They do not stand around with sinners. They they know some sinners, but they don't go and do what the sinners do. Or join with mockers. They know people are saying things they shouldn't say. They just don't say it. See, they're in the world, but they're not of the world. That's what Jesus said in John 15, 17. They know people that are doing things because they used to be one of those people. They're Matthew. But Jesus said, come follow me. And he said, okay. Hey, can we have a party tonight? I'm going to invite all my friends. Guess who his friends were? A bunch of sinners. And he had a Matthew party and they got to know Jesus. It's not being conformed to the pattern of the world. It's what Paul would later write about. But it's being transformed by the renewing of your mind. So what Paul is telling Timothy is what he's telling us is stay away from the ways and the teaching of the people of the world who don't know Jesus. But the world needs to know that time is of the essence. Peter wrote it this way in Second Peter chapter 3. He said, the Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think he is. Lord, where are you? Why don't you come? No, Peter said, he's being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone, everyone, For all, for everyone have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And that same God, the same God we sang about this morning, that same God wants everyone to repent. So let's go back and finish what Paul said to Timothy. After he said, stay away from those, stay away, don't get caught up in that stuff. Here's what he said, verse 14. But you must remain faithful to the things that you've been taught. You guys that know, you got to remain faithful. You, you must know that they are true. 
for you know that you can trust those who taught you. You have been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood, and they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Jesus. All Scripture, all Scripture, how much Scripture? All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us what to do to do what is right. God uses it to prepare us and equip His people to do every good work and our good work is to reconcile the world to Jesus, to bring them back to Jesus because the end is coming. And even if it wasn't, your days, your days are numbered. Psalm chapter 90 verse 12 says, number your days. In other words, another way of saying it is make your days count. Make your days count. How do you make your days count? Here's how you make them count. I'm leaving you with this. You make your days count by letting the world know that God is for them, not against them even when they don't deserve it. You let them know that God showed his love by sending Jesus even when they didn't deserve it. And you let them know that God will, he will judge the righteous and the unrighteous. God will judge. Even Tupac knew that. God will judge. It's not a game. So the bottom line is, Why do we do what we do? So that the world can know. So that the world can know. Would you guys stand with me? We're going to have a young lady that's already committed to being baptized next service. Maybe you want to join her. Maybe you want to come and talk to some folks and make a decision and hang around just a few more minutes and get baptized at the beginning of next service. Maybe you just need somebody to pray with you. Maybe where you are, while we sing this song, you need to be as you're being reminded by singing about God's amazing grace. Maybe you need to be reminded and ask God to help you take it really, really seriously. Whatever you need to do, let's worship him and let's give ourselves to him in this moment.
Jason and some of our folks over in the decision room. You can stop over there in that corner and they'll be there for a few more minutes. Hey, Thursday night, seriously, Thursday night, it's this Thursday, okay? This Thursday starts at 7 o'clock. Kona Ice here at 5.30 out in the parking lot. Come invite some people. Even if you're planning on being here on Sundays, all right, cool. We're still going to be here on Sundays, all right? But invite some people you know who can't come on Sundays. Say, hey, I got, a, I got an offer for you. I got a deal. And I'll even come with you until you get started, all right? Come on. Come on. It'll be good. Hey, ladies, well, mainly ladies, but some guys, you're welcome too. Uh, we got Chanda Pierce is coming here in like four weekends. It's going to be awesome. But here's the deal on tickets, all right? We had an allotted amount of tickets given to us. And for the most part, they've been spoken for. So here's what I need you to do. If you have talked to my wife and committed to X number of tickets, she's going to be out in the lobby. Go out there and see her and get those. All right. Make sure about that. And if you don't need that many, let her know that so we can. Otherwise, if you haven't talked to somebody about tickets and you want tickets, get online because there's still some online, but we're kind of out of what we currently have. Uh, that means this place is going to be a out. It's going to be awesome, awesome, awesome on Friday night, September 16th. Uh, so see Kim out in the lobby uh, about that. And if you've got middle schoolers, high school or next phase, get them back here tonight. Middle school starts at five. Uh, high school starts, high school next phase starts at seven over in the stew. It's going to be awesome. Until then, you know what the little, and if you want some more, anybody want more like cush balls? All right. Like I've got a bunch of them. You want one? There you go. All right. I got a bunch of them. I'll send them to the back. All right. I got more of them up here and we start tonight at five o'clock with high school kids. Let's love God. Let's love people. Let's go change the world. See you guys.